Hello everyone and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've uh, just come back from a late showing of The First Purge. Yes. Which is not the first Purge film, which is just called The Purge. It's the fourth. Actually, can we describe a little bit both of the films that we've seen tonight? Because You've I only think... seen those two as well, have you? You haven't seen the middle two? No, but what I meant was that uh, we've seen Arthur Penn's Mickey One. Oh, sure. Uh, which, well, I find, you know, a really beautiful movie... Uh, absolutely striking imagery. It's an art movie. It's a very young uh, and really good uh, and extraordinarily handsome Warren Beatty uh, in in the film. It's a film that is very hard to read or to understand, yeah, or to to put all the pieces together. Uh, anyway, and and I suppose what I you know, so we saw that at home on DVD, and then we've just come back from seeing The Purge, which is. It looks really cheap. I'm, I'm not sure whether it actually is cheap or not. They are cheap movies. Yeah. Um, like all classic, all, all of the best kind of horror uh, series, they made a lot of money from not very much budget. The combined budget of the four Purge mm. films is $35 million. Right. And the combined gross is $420 million plus. My God. So, so very it's a successful. Real money spinner, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just thought you know, that that was an interesting contrast, like you know, this studio art film. And this kind of real cheapo genre film, but both I think really incredibly powerful in their own ways, in my view. Yeah. Yes, I think I think that um, the first purge. Is that the name of the film? The, the, yeah, the the fourth film is called the first, the first purge, purge okay. whereas the first purge is just called the purge. I think I think it's the most powerful political statement in cinema that I've seen this year. Yeah. I do. Black Panther was this year. I think I think the Black Panther is by far the better film. It was more com- complex. Uh, it was also more uh, nuanced, mm. right? Um, but this is right in your face. You know, there there's a program for white supremacists to kill black people, <laughs> and we've got to defend ourselves. And actually, I think it makes that point really clearly and directly and powerfully. In a way that even even Black Panther, by far the better film, didn't. Mm. I, I must say, I, w- I was overcome with thoughts. Mm. It really fired my, my, my imagination to the point where towards the end of the film, I, I left and hung out by the side of the cinema to write stuff down before I forgot it. So what did you write? So oh, let's, right, so let's I, go through oh, your I wrote list. so much stuff. Well, let's 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 say the idea, um, the, the base premise, the, the idea of the purge uh, in general. Over, over the four films is that for 12 hours 12 consecutive hours once a year um, all laws are suspended yes. uh, which means uh, the idea is that, that that it leads to a more harmonious society uh, if people are allowed for a short time to do anything they want and this largely means murder um, so the first Purge film not the first Purge but the Purge uh, was uh, a home invasion movie it was Ethan Hawke's um, affluent family Basically, but their home being invaded. There's a, there's a racial component to it where they they lock their house down, and then uh, through their through their sort of camera systems, they see uh, uh, a black man outside who's kind of begging for help to be letting because he's being sort of hunted by these these kind of prep school white guys. Uh, so they they let him in, and then their house is besieged by these guys who who want the mm-hmm. the the, to, um, the the black guy handed over to them. Um, 
in, in that in that world, the the purge has been well established. It happens every year. This goes back to the origins of the purge. Yes. Uh, and the idea is that a new political party called the NFFA, the the New Founding Fathers of America, yes. is kind of rising up. Um, and with the help of uh, a kind of social scientist played by Marisa Tomei, who's the only actor in the film I, I recognise. Yes. Um, uh, it's, it's her idea, that this purge. And they, they do it, just they localise it to Staten Island. They say, we're going to try this out, this experiment. Staten Island is very, very poor. Um, it's populated almost entirely by uh, black people and, and other minorities. Um, so there's clearly, you know, that like it, it, it has a, re- it's reminiscent of, is it the Tuskegee experiments and other experiments that have basically taken place on black people and minorities mm. in the past, um, uh, and and indeed the pop the, the the population of of Staten Island is very suspicious of this. Um, I mean, uh, well, there's <laughs> you could sort of say that like there was maybe a kind of um, genuine. Uh, experiment going on, but they wouldn't dream of doing this experiment in a white neighbourhood. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and and so the film, uh, the film is way more nuanced than I would have expected, really. Although I didn't know much about the specific premise coming into it, um, and I think it's more nuanced than the first film was, in that it depicts a community that is being encouraged and given license to tear itself apart for someone else's benefit, really. Um, and I would say that the action in this film, much of the fighting is not enjoyable, and it's not ne- it's not just because I don't think it's brilliantly shot and edited. Although I think it is, it, it's too heavy on kind of medium shots and quick editing. It, it's not kind of clear enough. But actually, it's not action I want to take any pleasure in. It's not it's not as clear as goodies versus baddies for the most part, because the goodies are generally speaking the community, and the baddies are the politicians giving the community license to attack themselves so the action when the community does attack itself I don't want to take any pleasure in that you know what I mean um, let's say spoilers from here on that's that's kind of that's the, that's the idea um, I'm not I'm, I'm not sure I agree I mean the big villain of the piece is um, the director of this program who's surrounded by computer screens is well hidden in an office block and who actually suffers no repercussions for the the underhandedness of his actions. Because the thing is, it's meant to be an experiment, but this guy's not getting the results that he wants, so yes. he cheats and he brings white supremacists that are hired guns, you know, to come into the neighborhood and actually instigate the violence to the level that he wants it to be. Yes. Um, and really what you, ha- what you get the feeling is that the level that he wants it to be is social cleansing. He just wants to kill all poor people of color, <laughs> yeah. you know, to make room for white people, really, because the country's overpopulated, is what they say. That's the right? argument that he makes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, and I think it's done almost with no frills. It's right, you know, what's extraordinary about this film, why I think it's such a, a powerful statement, is because it doesn't hide behind anything. This is what it tells you. And, you know, it's a, a very direct commentary on our present time, on Black Lives Matter, on, you know, the attacks on black people, and it's full of, like, contemporary relevance. I mean, there's a pussy-grabbing, you know, mm. uh, person on the loose, right? Yeah. And <laughs> so, it, with, a, with a line of dialogue, as the girl escapes, she shouts, pussy-grabbing motherfucker. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's you know, very direct. Yeah. It's very direct. 
um, you know, and, uh, the, and there's imagery which is incredibly unsettling. That, that there's uh, when the when the militia is brought in to to ramp up the violence, um, you first see it really with with uh, from a distance, from across the road, you see an attack on a black church where lots of people have holed up yeah. and are just trying to get through the night, and that's that's incredibly unsettling because of the the, um, the similar attacks there have been uh, in the United States in real life, and and also uh, the, uh, the militia's driving down. The road in in trucks uh, full of uh, dresses clan members. So I think actually it's 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 a nuance which I don't like that because um, I think what you say is right. It is very direct. Apart from this one nuance, which is that these are not actually white supremacists. These are militia. These are mercenaries dressed as white supremacists. This is and the film does make mention of this. It does say these are this is a, a, a these are mercenaries. And I think what the film is doing is letting white people off. If there's one central flaw, it's that it's that you'd need a conspiracy and you'd need to hire a militia. Because actually the truth is that there is no shortage in America of white people who'd be perfectly happy to have the freedom to kill a lot of black people. Yes. And, and I think what the film is doing subtly is letting white people off by saying that there's, there's a, a purpose around it or, or a structure around the people doing it as opposed to just... What well, people freely doing this. I feel I, I, that's an interesting point. Um, I'm not sure, and you know the reason why I'm not sure is because well, aside from the KKK costumes, mm. you know, and all the um, the white flags with the logo that really feels like a you know Confederate kind of yeah. you know Aryan party. Um, there's also that moment where there's one of those guys that's really visualized that you recognize and then in the shootout in the staircase you know when he unmasks that person and it's that person and he's like you know Aryan of the SS from Virginia yeah, blue, blue eyes blonde <laughs> hair and, and the mask that he's been wearing has, is, is a it's like a, a uh, an emphasized kind of cartoony minstrel type mask of very deep black skin and kind of white lips white and red lips yeah. and it's it's that I, I can't think of what the specific kind of imagery is but it, it, it is that kind of emphasized um, <laughs> really racist imagery yes. of white people in blackface from years gone by I think for me what struck me as you know a powerful uh, and politically powerful was that at the very beginning there's this division in the community between those people who are activists, who, um, you know, they're, they're all affected by poverty, you know, but some of them have chosen the route of political protest and being involved in churches and education and, you know, the traditional route, whereas others have gone into the drug trade, which is, you know, um, the, the traditional bane of those cultures, you know, but also a kind of infrastructure. And actually what happens very interestingly at the end is that those two represented by you know the, the the heroine and the hero come together so actually the problem is no longer you know a virtuous life in the church versus making a living out of the drug trade that actually blights everybody but actually is both of those working against you know mm. white people <laughs> yeah like i suppose ultimately what the what what you're given is is a community that comes together that to it, fight racism. Yeah, it's brought together by the attempt to, to tear it apart. It's, kind of, yeah. it's, it's an idealised ending. It is an idealised ending. Um, 
But I like that because, you know, and also the thing that I found interesting was the way that the film unites blacks and Hispanics, mm. which, you know, almost everything in that culture tries to divide as well. And in fact, my understanding is that the biggest conflicts, you know, are often between like, you know, black and Latino rather than, you know, black, white, Latino, white. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the film does a nice thing of kind of, you know, making both of those groups uh, come together in the face of a common enemy. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's interesting that the, the, the first film is very white and this film is very black. Yes. They speak to two kind of different audiences in a way, but under, underneath the same umbrella of an idea. Yes. It speaks, what it speaks to is the, um, the, the, the potential in the idea. Yes. You know, I, I think it's, it's very easy to mock the idea of the purge. It's, a, it's such a simple kind of city horror concept. But actually, there is there is in the two films that I've seen at least, there's a huge amount of depth. Yes, it's it's a serious political commentary on the culture, both of the films. Yeah, actually, though I think this one I find I find to be the um, less polished film, mm. you know, but actually kind of the most the more powerful film. One of the things that I was thinking about when watching it was precisely that because you know if you look at it in terms of aesthetics or. You know, in terms of a well set up scene or a well acted scene or you know what is a well shot scene <laughs> like the film fails on almost all counts and yet it didn't matter mm. you know it was kind of like communicating an idea and an energy you know with in- enough um, relevance and force that actually you know the technical expertise with which it was rendered mm. was of no consequence or of little consequence mm. and it genuinely got my heart racing mm. you know I, I, I was invested I bought into the character and I bought into the situation mm. and I was worried about what would happen you know, and, and so even though I, I said earlier some of the action is not brilliantly put together as, as you've just sort of suggested as well um, it, again it didn't matter because it, it conveyed enough Mm. sort of to give me that the, the tension and, and, and in a way some of the imagery we were talking about as well the kind of neo-Nazi imagery and, and confederate imagery and so on and, and these images that are reminiscent of genuine um, uh, atrocities against uh, black communities um, that they, they are properly scary I mean I can't imagine really what it's like to be to, to live in a world in which in which the, the, the majority has really no problem um, reproducing these images, or do, or doesn't, or has no sort of, um, yeah, has, has no problem reproducing. Doesn't understand the kind of what what they do to you. You know, th- th- this whole thing that's been going on over the last couple of years about Confederate statues, um, and that f- like black people are only really recently starting to be listened to about that. Saying like, how do you think it makes me feel walking past this every day? The statue to to a guy who wanted me dead. Yes. Because of the color of my skin, you know. Yes. To be in a country where that where that happens, I can't I can't imagine that. Um, and I feel like in the minutest way, I got a glimpse of that through some of the imagery in this film, just because of how terrified I was by it. It made me feel scared when I saw the clan members going past. Yes. You know? Yeah. That was a scary image. Yeah. And I felt it because I felt associated or not associated, but I felt kind of sympathetic with with the black characters who were being deliberately terrorised. Yes. Um, so what are the notes that you make? Um, I, 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 it's a minor thing, but I thought there were some elements early on um, before the drama really kicks up uh, where there's a lot of black people talking to each other for the benefit of a white audience. 
Um, there's a, uh, do you know the show? You know, you know the show Atlanta mm. by uh, uh, Donald Glover. Do you know the show Blackish? No. Blackish is um, is, is another uh, uh, American sitcom. It's much more kind of broad and family friendly than Atlanta. Um, uh, it's very good as well. But there is a kind of central difference between the two in that the conversations that the family will have in Blackish about kind of racism and about the nuances of how to live as black people in America or so on. They are they're conversations that like actually black people would never have. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in Atlanta, you just get stuck into the into the world, and people don't have kind of conversations for your benefit. Yeah. See what I mean? I think there are elements of of that in this, um, but none to the point where I was getting annoyed by it. I think there's I, I don't I think there is some benefit to making the issues the film's bringing up clear mm. uh, early on. Talking about, for instance, um, that when you talk about the the the, the, um, the drug dealer. And the girl who's who's sort of against him, uh, she says, you know, the purge is going to destroy our community for a day, but you do it for the other 364 days a year. Yes. That's very much a movie bit of dialogue, but I don't mind really that it's that it's making it so clear. Yes. The I, problem she has with him. Yes, and and you know, her point of view is less complex than the film's, because in fact, you know, kind of whilst you get what she says you also see that, you know, he's running a business, it's very well organized, it's employing a lot of people, mm. half the community is implicated in it, mm. you know, it's the only outlet that most of them have, you know, he's not hated within it, right? Like, yeah, so, so, mm. it's, what's interesting is that this drug dealer figure is seen to have more of a stake and more of a responsibility towards that community than the government does. Mm. which yes. I think is almost a revolutionary statement in an American film yeah you know I, I found that quite incredible mm. to see it you yeah. know um, because the white guy with Marisa Tomei whose name I can't remember the one who's directing everything and who's setting drones on the populace and everything he is the government representative right you mm. know so like um, yeah he's he's white He's a little bit chubby. He's not very good looking. He's completely safe. Yes. Uh, you know, and he's not averse to giving orders to kill the scientist. And he's certainly kind of gleeful at the idea of, like, cleansing the population of what he sees are its worst elements. Yeah. To make room for people like himself. And he is the government's representative. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a government against the people. I mean, you can't get any stronger and no. clearer than that. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's reminiscent of um, the, the, the government uprising kind of idea. Is I'm sure there would be much better examples, but to, the one that came to mind for me was The Handmaid's Tale, mm. um, uh, which is similarly about about a kind of new uprising of government that manages to take over and impose its ideals on the USA. And um, and uh, in the Handmaid's Tale, obviously, it's it's very much about subjugation of women and a return to kind of biblical ideals or, mm. or what they see as biblical ideals. Um, but the, but the idea is kind of similar. It's 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 kind of scarily believable. Yes. That, that it could kind of descend into that. Yes. It's, um, well, it's not, I mean, it's it's so it's not even like it, it's scarily believable, as you say, not because we fear that it will happen. But because in the last two years, we've seen it happen. Yeah. I mean, those images of the police killing, you know, 
black youth on, who are already on their knees and unarmed. Yeah. You know, I mean, actually, there's nothing in the film kind of as shocking as that. So, you know, yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's not it's not it's not a sci-fi <laughs> no. situation. It's not really. so far-fetched. And actually, when um, when the line when, when, for instance, the girl says the the pussy grabbing line, or when Marisa Tomei when she kind of uncovers the conspiracy, um, says, you know, did you fake those numbers as well? You know, that actually is almost too on the nose. Yes. You feel like you don't need that. Like I already get how how this is drawing on what's really been happening for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's interesting that it kind of retcons, because the Purge films have been going since 2013, which, you know, no one saw anything like like what's happening in the real world back in 2013, and so... In fact, the, the film, the first film was set in the future. Yes, yeah, they are yeah. set in the future, but but what I mean is that, like, um, they... This film sort of retcons what, the, what was happening in the previous films, because... Because there's so much more in the world, real world to draw on, and actually, the, uh, although I've not seen the middle two films, so I can't say that much about them. But um, certainly in the first film, there wasn't really that much information given about the wider world. It was very much an insular film, just about how it affects this family and this rich mm. community in in LA, I think it was. So there is room to to add on all of this wider mm. context to the world, but they can do it based on what's been happening in, in like 2017 and 2018, yes, as opposed to what was happening back then, yes. Um, let's talk a little bit about the audience that we side with, because you know one of the pleasures, or one of the interesting things today, and and for me, one of just one of the great pleasures of going to see films at the cinema, is of course the audience and the way that the audience reacts to it, and and today was kind of special because I would say the audience was maybe eighty ninety percent black. Yes, it you, was, could tell, you could tell it was a, a, a black and minority ethnic audience largely yeah. we were seeing it with. I felt like there was the only white guy there probably. Yeah, there's a couple of others, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, which is a very unusual, and also what was unusual, you know, was just the level of response. Yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, the way that kind of the audience was with the film and into the film and talking with the film and and so on and so forth. So you know, I think it's kind of um, it's interesting because you know there are some films that come with an agenda that you feel, you know, they they are they are designed to set a, a cultural agenda to set the discussion. On a particular topic for a particular group, and then kind of there are films that seem to come out of nowhere and that are really low budget and cheap and whatever that in fact do the job much better than any of these you know kind of um, uh, uh, more important in quotation mm. marks films uh, in fact do, and I think this is one of them, and I'm surprised that it hasn't been talked about more in this way. I haven't, I haven't heard, heard anything about it. I've heard nothing at all about the first yeah. purge. So yeah, mind you, I've not been looking, but nonetheless, you think it would pop up in a conversation somewhere. Everyone's been talking about Mission Impossible. You That's think right. they could talk about the first purge in a way that would filter through? Yes, yes. Um, what did you make of the Skeletor character? Um, Skeletor in the film is—he's the character that opens the film. Actually, he's very threatening. He's—he's he's got kind of scars yeah. on his face. Uh, which are kind of reminiscent in a way of like Killmonger uh, from, they are. from from Black Panther, the, the kind of sky, and he's a he's a prisoner. So in, similar to Killmonger, I suppose he's someone who's been through the American system and has become disfigured. Well, the most important um, thing is he's a drug addict. Yeah, yeah. and a killer. Actually, well, well, actually, it's not. It's no, that's, that's, to be fair, he's not established at the start as a killer, but he certainly is someone who you fear will kill freely once the purge begins. Exactly. You know, and so, he's very deliberately being returned to society because the opening scene is this is this interview between him and a kind of government official saying, asking these questions that they're asking of everybody, 
saying, "Do you feel uh, angry? Right. Uh, do, would you would you kill if you could?" That kind of thing. Yes, and but that was very for people to... who were signing up for the purge because you know, kind of, they're offering money if you're yeah. if you're involved. But the right? film opens right. up on him answering those questions. Yes, it opens up on him asking those questions. But I don't think he's been released from jail or anything. I mean, well, he's wearing an orange jumpsuit. Oh, that's why that's what I picked up on. Ah, okay, I didn't pick up on that. So you may be right. Yeah, I think that's kind of why he's being returned to right. this to right, the right, world right. for this. Um, I'm not sure how to read him symbolically or allegorically, actually, because, you know, it seems to me that I, I kind of, I read him as the out-of-control, you know, drug addict. Um, he's definitely out to have the young boy who was who'd begun selling drugs, um, you know, and then kind of near the end of the film, uh, his focus becomes, you know, the white supremacist. You know, he loses sight mm. of, you know, his more minor... Uh, um, uh, uh, antagonist and focuses on bigger and more important prey, which I think you know ties in with the other aspects of the film in a way. Yeah, um, I think he's meant to be kind of very scary and creepy and all of that, uh, and I think he kind of is really. Um, is it bef- before the white supremacist, before the militia gets involved, he's certainly the the major threat. Really, he's, he's the he's major antagonist. The major antagonist. He's the yeah. one you're scared of. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how kind of critical I should be of him, really, because he feels very movie-ish. You know, he feels like he's there to be the movie antagonist. Yes. Um, uh, whereas, you know, uh, whereas the rest of the film feels much more believable, I suppose. Mm. Much more organic, if you like. Um, but, I, you know, but having said that, he, he creeped me out and I was worried for the people around him. Yes. Um, so I didn't hate that, you know. No, I think, it, you know, I think... It is a movie, after all. It is a movie. I think that character um, fulfills fulfills its function very well. Um, maybe more so, kind of in the last twist. I, I mean, actually, I think what I like most about him is that the film turns him onto the militia or against the militia, you mm. know, and you know uh um yeah the rest of the the rest of his the function in his film of scaring the young boy of creeping him out of you know all of that felt just standardish yeah um but i suppose the twist remarkable. in a way does because it's it's a it's a redemption sort of twist except he's not a redeemable character <laughs> not yeah so actually i don't think it's a redemption okay i think you know it's more like you know i might not like you but this is my real enemy kind of you know, mm. thing the way I read it anyway sure um, any last points uh, the film is directed by Jared McMurray it's written by James DeMonaco who, who also wrote and directed the first three this has been directed by this Jared McMurray who um, we were looking at because there's very little information on him he seems to be quite uh, sort of young in his career mm. um, uh, produced Fruitvale Station which was directed by Ryan Cooper yes. um, which I I'm pretty sure we both yeah. love. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I don't know what there's to say about it, really, other than that there seems to be a kind of... Uh, one of the things that was so impressive about Black Panther was that it was it was written and directed by Ryan Coogler, and they kind of they appear to have given given him an awful lot of freedom. Hmm. And and you can kind of see similarities in in the point of view of the world um, between them. And there's a kind of what. We were sort of speaking uh, as we as we walked back to the flat about um, about how how 
little you really see audiences like we saw tonight at Cineworld. Mm. That you know you see them every now and again, and, and you did it for Black Panther. They're out in force, you know. Um, but really, what it really speaks to is that cinema is not uh, for anyone but white people most of the time. And you really see that when when there's always been this dilemma, or you know, say I say dilemma, mm. you know. But one of the th- one of the things that I was thinking when watching the film is that our whole attitudes have changed. I mean, certainly growing up, my thinking was, well, you know, we have to we have to figure out what the problem is, and then how to resolve it. But the assumption was that society wanted to resolve the problems, that it wanted to resolve the gun problem, that it wanted to resolve poverty, that it wanted to resolve, you know, the problem with schooling and so on. Whereas actually right now you feel, well, actually the society doesn't give a shit. Like, you know, it's mm. not that we can't, you know, resolve child poverty. We don't want to. For what, yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, I was thinking of, of how, how attitudes um, to those things uh, have changed. And now I've lost my train of thought. I forgot why I was oh, telling you this. Well, we were talking about, about the idea that cinema... It's oh. generally not for anyone but white people. That's right. And actually, one of the things that was always understood in the United States was that though almost no films were made for black people, mm. um, that black people represented a disproportionate uh, uh, a number or percentage of total uh, um, box office right. sales. Yeah, that the audience for cinema was disproportionately black. So I don't know, let's say, you know... Um, and I'm not sure of the figure, but let's say that the popula- the black population in the U.S. is... Is it something like 10%? I thought it was something like 10%, but it's 30% of the film audience or something like that. Yeah. Right? Um, that was always the dilemma, and that was known. So then the question was, since we know that you know, there is a large, a disproportionately large uh, black audience for cinema, then why not make films for black people? Mm. You know, and actually... Uh, all my adult life, I mean, I remember kind of, you know, Spike Lee coming on, and then you think there's going to be a whole bunch of films like that, and there just aren't, mm. you know. So I think kind of there there is a lip service to you know these issues, but actually there's no there's no real attempt to resolve them because I think people feel that resolving them is actually giving up something rather than gaining something, mm. and I see it as simple as that. Yeah, well, it's always the thing. I mean, it's it's like why white people think that the phrase "white people" is racist, yes. and of course it's not. Um, it, but what it does is, is just by, by having it pointed out that you're a white person means that your perceived neutrality goes. Yes. You know, it's not neutral to be white. It means something just yes. as being black and being Hispanic and whatever means something. Uh, it's that kind of thing. Uh, I, I saw. Um, uh, I, I don't know if it was like a, a Kimmel bit or just some other thing on YouTube, but it was someone going to a cinema in a black neighbourhood in in America, um, and like reading out the the the, the top ten sort of movies uh, mm. out that week and asking, "Have you seen this? Have you seen that?" And of course, and they and they hadn't, and it was it was kind of revelation that like we really do live in these separate worlds, and and maybe one of the like the classic sort of examples is the Medea movies, yes. which are ridiculed by white people and not paid, and actually most haven't even seen one. You know? Yes. Um, anyway, um, and, and and I suppose. I suppose what, what I don't know what I'm guessing at really, other than to say that like, it's it's, it seems kind of enforced by, by. A system that doesn't want to take risks 
that that there should be so few films that like, that seem to kind of cross these barriers. I I I am I'm, I'm fed up with this question of wanting to take risks or whatever. All cinema is risky. So, you know, it's not a question of not of not wanting to take risks. Filmmakers take risks all the time. Studios take risks all the time. Mm. It's not a question of risks. It's a question of not wanting to share power. It's as simple as that. Mm. You know, because kind of, you know, and it does mean that, you know, it does. I mean, this is why basic social justice doesn't happen. I mean, there were, you know, you would have 50% of parliament being women. You know, that's basic social justice. If it's meant to represent the population, that's the population, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't happen because it's just... An, an, it means that men would have to give up seats. It's simple. I think the same thing in, in, in Hollywood cinema. Kind of, you know, studios uh, um, uh, giving up power to black producers, you know, black directors, black cinematographers. You know, there is kind of, I think, an unconscious maybe, but structural and nonetheless effective exclusion that yeah. takes place so that's why films like these like this one are so rare no you're yeah. right actually I, um, I, yeah I mean I was, I was talking sort of very vaguely but you're absolutely right like there is there is no risk in in in, in making in, in letting you know black people <laughs> make a film with your money because they're just as good or bad at making films as anybody else but it's that you are giving up power by doing so yes I think so yeah you're right um, anyway let's end it here uh, you know, I I I th- I th- I do think that to me it was a kind of a revelation. I don't want to over talk it because I, you know, in many ways it's not a good film. But I stand by my opening statement that is the most powerful political uh, statement that I've seen in cinema this year. I'd say it's it's a much more complex film than any film of this sort really needs to be, and that's great. And it demands a complicated response. Okay. Um, Excellent. It's not it's not that simple. I I really liked it. Good. Thank you very much for listening. We are on... SoundCloud. iTunes. Facebook. Uh, Twitter. <laughs> and uh, eavesdroppingatmovies.com. <laughs> right. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, is there anything you wanted to add in particular about... Um, uh, um, Mickey One. Mickey One in, in, in comparison? No, I think I've made it because, you know, kind of... You know, I just want to say at the beginning that we'd seen two really great... Well, in my view, two really great films today. You know, uh, one which was kind of, you know, uh, uh, an art film, and actually, arguably, you know, the uh, best American exemplar of European art cinema that I know of, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, That asks you to have these complicated responses Mm. and to figure things out and what does it mean and so on. You know, and on the other hand, you know, we saw like a cheapo genre film that actually kind of, you know, led to at least as interesting and complex and so on responses, mm. if not more so than Mickey One. I mean, I love both of them. I thought you, you know, maybe wanted to do, draw on, for instance, the the um, the depiction of social decay in Mickey One, uh, which actually to me seems kind of unusual for the time. No, um, no, I, I don't think that's particularly unusual. I mean, I think the, the sense of existential angst around it, you know, the thing about making it Kafkaesque, all of that in American cinema is unusual. Mm. The thing of not having a narrative, a coherently, a coherent narrative is unusual. You know, to make it deliberately so, that's unusual. No, I just wanted to kind of say these are the two films that we've seen today. You know, they're like 50 years apart. 
One is an art movie, the other one's a genre film, and yet aren't they both interesting and potent? Yeah. yeah. The, the last thing I do, I just I do want to emphasize that I think I I do dislike in the first purge how it protects the white audience from its own complicity in in what it depicts. Really, I think it's you know the the, the world the, the the world that the people of the first purge live in is decrepit and poor and badly served and you know, allows for a kind of home to crime and drug dealing and the idea that it would have got that way through through just like a few people at the very top of society running a conspiracy is of course ridiculous white people are absolutely complicit and I don't like that the film protects them a little bit right a problem that is resolved in this latest installment mm. no no I don't think it's resolved I think it's it's the problem in the first purge oh in this film that we just saw yeah yeah I, I, oh no I thought you were talking about the no, with the previous one, no, no. I, I, like I say, the problem I think is that by by removing the kind of antagonism to just these people in power, it sort of says that you, as a white audience member, don't have to worry that you would have anything to do with this. Like I say, I think it, I think it is a mistake that the film shows that the antagonists bring in a militia as opposed to saying it, as as, okay. as if white people wouldn't be chomping at the bit okay, for the opportunity taking. to. Um, um, though I do think that the Marisa Tomei character, in a way is the response to that, you know, because she thinks she's doing one thing, she realizes she's doing the other, mm. and something else, she gets killed off, mm. right? So she recognizes her own complicity, and as she does so, signs her death warrant. Yeah, I think, I think that, that supports my point, really. Well, I'm not necessarily arguing against it, I'm just kind of bringing, sure. bringing that up. Anyway, that's, that is... That I think is it's a, an interesting point. I, consider, I consider that quite a... F- quite a serious flaw in the film but not to the point where I don't recommend recommend the film listen you know it, it it's a flaw in the film but you know we should all be so lucky as to have <laughs> that kind of flaw in most films yeah okay yeah. fair enough alright okay thank no, you no fair enough uh, 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 uh.